been really requested on the show. Like, like a lot, like a lot, a lot more than, more than I thought uh, I would ever hear your name, but you came into my world, Evan, by via Instagram as most seem to. And you started showing up in my feed, almost like cosmically being like, she needs to talk to this dude. And so they just started putting you in my feed and here we are. Here we are. I love that we got it done, Kelsey. <laughs> oh, it's the best feeling when individuals that you really truly feel a calling to have a conversation with when it can actually happen in the way you hoped it would. It might take, you know, a little bit of finagling, but it does happen with the right people at the right time. And like I said, last week out of the blue, you were being brought up in our socials a lot. People were like, when are you going to have this guy on? I said, well, fun fact, next week. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that. So you got to, you got to answer the call. Oh, isn't that the greatest feeling? <laughs> I mean, there's so many, uh, in so many ways you've answered the call. It seems like in life, you know, for you, the, the chapters that you've gone through and ways that you've moved through such a kind of feels like a prolific career. When you go back and really look at the size of you, how are you so fucking tall? I realized you're a foot and a half taller than me. You understand that we don't seem like the same, like we're the same thing. You know, there's people in this world that are bigger in all ways. And when you look at the way that you're structured as a person, you're not the first person I would have thought Yogi. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's always a nice surprise, I think, for people. <laughs> what do you give off like the... I'm a big dude, angry vibe. I don't think so. I think no. it would be, uh, it's expected if you're around you, but you, you kind of started. Well, um, I have to say something on that, Kelsey. Go, go. Yesterday, or what day is it? It's Tuesday. On Sunday, we went to the farmer's market. Love the farmer's market. And we're walking through and this dude looks at me and he's like, you look like a really nice guy. You look really <laughs> scary. He said, you look really scary on the outside, but I can tell inside you're a really nice guy. Just and randomly? Just, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I so mean, I, once you get past the Viking warlord exterior <laughs> on the inside, there's a very, there's a very kind heart in here. That's, that's so wild. Only at a farmer's market would somebody be, feel bold enough to say that out loud. Yeah. Yeah, Just, I couldn't see it happening in like New York down the street. No one's going to take that kind of time to like describe what they're seeing. Nobody cares yeah. that much. Yeah. That's fantastic, man. But it, it it led you to a wild career, though. Yeah, yeah. Very. It's been a, it's been a trip, Kelsey. As we all we've all been on quite a journey to get here. And um, football was my dream at one time, playing in the NFL being an offensive lineman, being a warrior, a gladiator of the gridiron was the ultimate dream for me. Started when I was about eight years old, sitting in my grandparents' living room in Connecticut, watching the news, Jets and the Giants in training camp. I'm watching these warriors, these gladiators in this armor run through drills and hit each other as hard and as fast as they possibly could. And I thought to myself, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of alcoholism in my family. 
a lot of mental health stuff um a lot of darkness a lot of doubt shame guilt a lot of the a lot of shit you know and for me whether i knew it or not at that time football revealed itself to be this vehicle for me to get out of that situation uh, my mom would never let me play she was always worried i'd get hurt so finally my freshman year of high school with the help of my dad, I convinced my mom to let me play football. And from that point on, freshman year of high school on, it was just this rocket ship to the moon, straight line trajectory to playing in the NFL. And it was because I I had this vision in my mind's eye of me being at the peak of the mountain, the top of my game in this sport, professional American football. And that's how I lived. That's how I carried myself, how I ate, how I drank, how I thought, how I walked. Everything I did was in alignment with achieving this dream of one day playing in the NFL. And I was gifted with a physical body that could endure a lot of discomfort, challenge, pain, and was strong, strong enough and gifted enough to do it at the highest level possible and you know that's really what the first half or the first quarter of my life was all about was being this the ultimate football warrior that i could possibly be football is a wild sport um over time obviously we started to understand head injury cte tbis and 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 all of the repercussions of smashing your skull off of other people's body parts. And it's wild because somehow we still do it. Uh, and I, I understand the, what sport can mean to a culture, to a society, to a individual who's playing sport. I was an athlete. I didn't get to your level, but there is something to be said about the willingness, your, what you're willing to put your body through and what your mind through without thinking about the repercussions when you're smashing into somebody at some ridiculous pace. I mean, you're six foot, what, four? And you're hitting six, people. six, 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 fuck me, never mind. <laughs> uh, and you, you know, you're, you're running full speed into people and full well knowing that you're more <clears throat> likely than not concussing yourself. Did you ever fear anything? along those lines, head injuries and stuff like that when you were playing, or was it so far in the back of your mind? There was no fear at that time. You know, it was just, this is who I am this is what I do. I would, there were plenty of times in practice, actually less so in games, more happened in practice, getting my bell rung, going mm -hmm. up on a linebacker, massive collision blast in the helmet coming out of it like dizzy and starstruck and looking back 1000 percent, that was a concussion you know what i mean and during that time concussions were really uh it was a forbidden term you did not go to a trainer and say hey man i'm concussed like you get your bell rung that's part of the deal it happens. This is football. You know, I'll be fine. Shake it off. Get back out there. As long as I can stand and breathe, I can play football. You know, that's the mentality. And hey, humans, this episode of the Brass and Unity podcast is sponsored by Cured Nutrition. I want to talk to you guys about sleep. 
We all know that sleep is one of the most important tools when getting your life together and optimizing your wellness and general well-being. Cured Sleep Bundle, which combines their best-selling Zen and most potent CBN, is the answer to guaranteeing that you'll get a full night of sleep every single night. Zen is a blend of functional mushrooms, adaptogens, and full-spectrum cannabinoids. The CBN extract is a lesser-known cannabinoid found in the hemp plant, but these supplements were designed to support the two most critical stages of your body's natural sleep cycle, REM sleep and non-REM, deep sleep. Cured's raw CBN oil contains 30 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of CBN. Together, the CBD and CBN create a synergistic whole body effect. When it kicks in, you'll notice every inch of your body soften into a deeper state of relaxation, as if you're laying beneath the comfort of a weighted blanket. Once you're asleep, Zen is there to ensure that your body is successfully cycling out of non-REM, deep sleep, into REM, and back again. Some people can't fall asleep. Others can't stay asleep. And then those that just fall asleep, stay asleep, but struggle to spend enough time in each sleep stage. No matter what is keeping you from your true rest and restoration, the sleep bundle is your solution. Think of it as the one-two punch for the body and brain reset. So I've been struggling with sleep for a little while now, dealing with TBI and other ailments, but I'm telling you right now, this stuff is legit. It gets me to sleep. It keeps me asleep. And I don't wake up feeling groggy. I don't have any of the side effects that any other type of medication or CBD product that sometimes happen. Um, I've also been able to focus a lot more on what my body needs because I'm able to get into a deeper sleep. This stuff is amazing, guys, and I want you to go give it a shot. Kirit is giving all of our listeners 20% off. So you can go and grab it at curednutrition.com slash brass and check out. That's right. Cured Nutrition, C-U-R-E-D nutrition.com slash brass and get an extra 20% off. Improve your sleep. It'll improve your life. Um, During my career was really when this, this thing started to emerge, the issues with concussions and the movie with Will Smith came out and you know, looking back, there were always these weird things that would happen with teammates. Um, rare. However, you know, you could one, two guys every few, once a year, every other year. These guys would just kind of like fade off. Really? You'd have these teammates that would like, they'd go into the training room one day. And then you just kind of never saw him out at practice again. And you'd be like, what happened to so-and-so? And And they'd be like, oh, he's depressed. Oh, he's something. Oh, he's having family problems or something, you know? And this guy would just like disappear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And whoever didn't, wasn't like right there with that guy who was like boys with that guy. We'd all just be like, it'd be like whispers. And then it'd be like, you know, we'd forget about it because we're preparing for another game, you know. And but looking back, those guys were experiencing concussion syndrome, basically. <laughs> you know, they were experiencing those symptoms of like low cognitive function, super depressed, couldn't sleep, no appetite, all of these issues that are caused by, you know, years and years now, because we're, you know, and that was college and in the NFL. I mean, by that time, guys have been playing nearly a decade of football. And this is a cyclical sport, you know, year in, mm-hmm. year out. You are grinding truly from April until December. 
You know, you get a few months off and then you start weight training and training again, and then you're back into it. And you're doing this year in, year out from the time you're 13 for me, luckily. Yeah, some 13. kids are way younger in the States. You know, we're seeing, you know, younger than 13, honestly, Kelsey. I mean, I have a daughter and I don't think she has any aspirations of playing football. Um, obviously. <laughs> Maybe not, obviously. Some girls probably want to play football. Um, but if I had a son who wanted to play football, it would not, he would not be allowed to play until he was 13. Hmm. And I say that, you know, younger than that, the neck is not strong enough to even hold on the hold the helmet on the head. So you're just asking for a life of severe brain neurological issues if you're letting a kid play younger than that. Honestly, if we're being really honest about just just the physiology, the truth mm -hmm. of the physiology of the human body, it's not capable of withstanding the weight of the helmet, let alone a collision. And the coaching is not great. You know, you mm -hmm. don't you don't have full control over your body yet. You know, so, and there's a lot of statistics. I mean, people who have played younger than 13, 13 is sort of the cutoff point. And then whoever played younger than 13, their incidence of suffering from CTE down the line are just much greater. And I mean, if you're really, you know, 110 out of 111 brains tested at, I think it was Boston University, this is back like, six seven years ago now eight years ago maybe longer 110 out of 111 nfl players brains tested positive for cte chronic traumatic encephalopathy which i'm sure your audience is somewhat familiar with that mm -hmm. if not you know that's early onset dementia that's alzheimer's that's uh basically a degenerative neurological disease where your brain matter is diminishing and your cognitive function along with it. So it's a it's a big, big issue. It's something that the, the NFL in particular is just, you know, they're talking about helmet technology and all this shit. It has nothing to do with the helmets. Nope. You can, you know. So, it doesn't. It doesn't. It has nothing to do with the helmets. My, yeah. husband's, my husband's in this space, not in football, but in the Supercross world with neck braces. Mm. And so there is nothing to do with the helmets. The helmets can't do a damn thing when your body is flying at an incredible pace and you're colliding and dead stopping with another object. There is not a damn thing you can do. When this brain smashes against the skull, the helmet does not protect from that. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm so glad you feel the way you feel about this. I had a feeling this is where you might lie in terms of age discrepancy. I know other sports, obviously hockey, me being Canadian, I don't play hockey. My, hockey, kid, will yeah. my kid will never play hockey. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm not that Canadian. Um, it'll never play <laughs> hockey though, because I understand the sport too much. He probably won't be allowed to play rugby like I did. Or he mm. won't be in a combat martial arts sport. He can do something like jujitsu or judo. That's a, a defensive, you know, you're, you're 
you're bringing that down. You're not a striking sport. All of those uh -huh. things when we're young, we're allowed to get kicked in the head or do these things and smash our head up against things because we're malleable and our brains can heal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, not good. It's not good. <laughs> no, it's not ideal, is it? It's and, and Kelsey, I think you would agree. Sports are so fucking like the, some of the greatest life lessons. Oh, I've ever learned have come through sports and competition. So yeah, when, you know, when I, cause I came out of the NFL and I very organically fell into cannabis advocacy right. <clears throat> and talking about cannabis as medicine for football players to deal with this concussion issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure once again, your audience is probably very familiar with cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants. The U.S. government has a patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants, patent 6,650,507, something like that. And <clears throat> that means, <clears throat> excuse me, literally cannabinoids, which are also created in our own body, are one of the few compounds on the planet that can actually help protect the brain cells from damage before a concussion has occurred mm -hmm. and can help heal the brain after a concussion has occurred. So I, f I fell into this cannabis advocacy. I did, I wrote a, an article for sports illustrated in this editorial section called the cauldron about <clears throat> my experience playing in the NFL called, what does it take to stay in the NFL? You don't want to know. You can find that on medium. Uh, dot com now if you're interested in reading that and i just talk about my experience dealing with injuries the pill protocols of the nfl adderall depression the mental experience of being a pro football player and then i talk a little bit about my cannabis use and how that was really in my mind it was the saving grace of my football career was just this intuitive urge to use cannabis when i came home from the long day of the grind and had you, had you used it before was that a regimen that you used at all when you were in college in college i did as well however the testing was a lot trickier yes. in college <laughs> yeah so in college i could be randomly tested for cannabis at any time during the year and then in so you know you get the inside scoop you know when the tests are coming mm -hmm. and then you know, us cannabis users, including myself, would would start using cannabis as soon as we got that word, you know. Mm -hmm. In the NFL, there's only one test for cannabis throughout the year. It's the annual street drugs test. And they test you for cannabis and whatever other they deem street drugs. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, uh that's different than the PED test, which is the performance enhancing drug test, right. which they do randomly throughout the year all the time. They care more about that than they do if you're on cocaine and heroin and God knows whatever else. <laughs> Makes sense. Yes, exactly. I suppose, you know, it's, a, it's really an interesting, it's an interesting question because it's like, what do they actually care about? You exactly. Know? <laughs> you know, so they're like, eh, if you're smoking weed, you'll be fine. 
if you're doing cocaine, you'll you probably be dead or you'll wear yourself out or yeah. you know, it'll be known or you'll be in some horrible incident outside of the facility and that'll right. weed you out either way. Right. <clears throat> but yeah, so once you have that test, you can use cannabis whenever you want in the NFL. And for me, that was cannabis really became my preferred source of, of pain management. Mm -hmm. um, very quickly, I had a number of uh, big surgeries during my football career. I had shoulder surgery. I dislocated my shoulder twice in a game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Had to have my labrum repaired, a slap repair on my shoulder. Had to have a discectomy in my back, so back surgery. And, you know, the moment you come out of these surgeries, they give you a prescription of opiates, Percocet, Vicodin, you know, whatever it is. And for me, opiates just fucking, I go straight to the ultimate withdrawal symptoms in really? days of prescribed use. I'm up at three o'clock in the morning in severe discomfort, cold sweats, chills, knifing sensation in my gut, craving these pills. Um, and I had a, I had a DNA test, actually a genetics test that was to test. It was actually to test how my DNA aligns with various cannabis strains. Mm -hmm. My good buddy, Len May, his uh, endo Canada health company does these incredible DNA sequencing tests for cannabis strains and human DNA. And he can tell you, you know, to the T what works for your body, terpenes, cannabinoid ratios, all that stuff. And this. when he did mine, yeah, I'll, I'll connect you with him. He does great yes. work. So he did mine. This was like probably five years ago. I was probably like two or three years out of my football career. And when he did mine, we went over the results and he said, I have a, a variant in my DNA that makes me highly susceptible to opiate withdrawal. Ooh. And I was like, oh, that makes sense, you know, because that was always my experience with opiates. And <clears throat> so juxtaposing my experience with opiates where it was, which was horrible, causing migraines and all sorts of stuff aside on top of all of the things I mentioned earlier, you know, using cannabis was this thing that helped decompress my physical body, helped relieve the, the mental, the emotional stress of both when I was healthy and when I was recovering from surgery, you know, it was, it was very much a decompressant to help pull the pin out of the pressure cooker that was my life, my experience of playing in the NFL. Right. I could come home from a long day of the grind, smoke some cannabis, decompress my mind, my body. I could rest. I could connect with my family. I could get a good night's sleep, wake up the next day feeling recovered and rejuvenated, ready for another day of the grind. You know, and so that experience was so interesting for me because I would go, man, these pills over here that are prescribed by a doctor, they're given to me. They're like the quote unquote, like safe alternative or so, you know, this is the thing that my doctor's giving to me the solution. and telling me to take. This is the solution to my pain. It's making me, putting me into more turmoil 
more pain, more chaos, chemical chaos inside my body. And yet this, this plant, this quote unquote, like back alley street drug that I'm not supposed to be taking is bringing me peace and calm and relief. It's like, this doesn't make sense to me, you know? And we would have these conversations in the locker room. You know, the guys that use cannabis would, we'd, we'd always talk about it. It was definitely something that we were interested in. And, you know, as a football player, you're not, you're never, you know, it is very shunned. It's shunned to be an individual. So it's shunned to, you know, speak speak your truth if it fucking rocks the boat mm -hmm. it's fucked you know it's not this is not a pathway that as a football player especially as a starter you have any will to go down you know and for me i was always a team captain i was a team leader i was the guy the coaches looked to to set the example for my teammates and so for me the thought of any of my coaches or anyone thinking i was a stoner or a cannabis right. user was a nightmare because it would have crushed all of my, you know, legitimacy. Mm -hmm. So I had to keep my cannabis use very private. However, by the time, you know, by the time I got to Chicago, which were my last two years in the NFL, I wasn't using any pills anymore. And cannabis was my, the only source of pain relief that I was using. And it was, I feel as though I came out of my football career more intact because of my cannabis use than had I not used it. I suffered a handful of concussions, physical damage, big injuries, shoulder, back surgery, had my appendix ruptured my last year in Chicago, had to have that removed. Um, and for the most part, I came out of my football career in one piece physically. Mentally and emotionally, I was completely shattered. And that's like, you know, that's where this journey started. But let's 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 dive super, super deep into that because it there's so much that you just said that resonates with a lot of people in terms of the ability to speak out when you're feeling like something is wrong, but the powers that be won't allow you. We saw this in mm. the NFL, uh, not the NFL, the NHL over the past two yeah. weeks. Um, we've seen this in with basketball, with people who are unwilling to kneel, we've seen this, whether mm. it's through what people, the people's beliefs and religions over politics, we've seen it all over the place. When somebody yeah. is not given the space to be and do what they need to do, it's truly tragic, especially when it comes to a plant-based healing modality. I've seen this with an individual in particular, and the story stuck with me so much, because I've never heard anything like it. I know a really great, amazing American hero who had his arm and a partial arm, torso and leg taken off by an RPG during mm. Fallujah in Iraq. And this guy is like, he's a pastor. He has eight children. He is a community man. He puts all mm. of the effort into everything. And he does a lot of work with Defenders of Freedom. And he is incredible. But... The VA, even though cannabis can manage his pain and his sleep and everything, will not allow him to use cannabis because it's not federally approved. So he has to use opioids and drugs to manage his pain. 
which just make him a shell of himself. Yes. Because if he tests, he will lose all of his coverage and rights. Right. And cannabis in particular, I have personal experience with being a means to get off of and move through getting off of medication, pharmaceutical medical intervention. And I know yes. the, the power cannabis has from a master plant to a, a, a place of healing to you know, anti-inflammation and all of these great components it has. And if we could use the plant to its fullest potential, the amount that could just be healed with just cannabis alone, forget other psychedelics, forget MDMA and ayahuasca and psilocybin. There's so much amazing things that can be done and are being done with like cured and all these other nutrition companies mm. that are doing, you know, the work that they're doing and they're opening yeah. people's eyes to it. But when you left the NFL, and you decided, like you said, your mind was shattered. Was that from a loss of community? Was that from a loss of, uh, of the sport? What was that? Why were you so shattered? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um, I was shattered from uh, a handful of reasons the baseline is that my football career was fueled by me proving to the world how big and scary I was and to be feared I was. And I literally destroyed myself in the process of attempting to prove that to the world. So then it's from there, it's the loss of identity it's the loss of community. It's the loss of purpose. It was all of these things, you know, and little by little, as I'm moving through my life after football, it's like these veils are falling and I'm coming to terms with like, holy shit, who the fuck am I? Who am I? And this is, you know, I come from this really, I come from an interesting family of athletes and artists. and. There was always this underground current for me of I'm going to be a writer when I'm done playing football. Like I, I went to the University of Arizona. I majored in creative writing. Telling stories is a passion of mine. Like I, I love that's I guess that's how I ended up here, you know, yeah. doing <laughs> just talking, using my voice, telling stories, telling the story of my life, my experience and the things I've learned along the way. And <clears throat> So I had this underlying thing when, it, and it was like, you know, in the back and sort of the, in my mind, in my psychosphere, there was this idea, Ed, when we're done playing football, we're going to be a writer, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this conversation, this internal dialogue, we're going to be a writer. Yeah. Smash yeah. that guy's face first, but I'm going to be a writer. Yeah. Sense. And, and I always, I'm, I'm, I've always been this in my football career, it was definitely emphasized. It was, I was never truly a part of that world, if that makes sense, because mm -hmm. of this sort of underlying sensitivity that I <laughs> sort of, I kept hidden, Yeah, you know? And so even with that, I came out of football 
and it was a fucking struggle it was like and it would come through relationships you know like i had spent 15 plus years engaging with everyone in my life through the prism of me being this warrior this professional athlete this superstar and now all of a sudden it was gone you know mm -hmm. every conversation for the last 15 years had been like eb what do you want to eat what do you want to do after the game give eb space he's preparing mm -hmm. eb Let's go do this. Eb, what do you want? Eb, I'll go do that. Eb, let me go buy groceries. Eb, let me, you know, let me take care of this. Eb, what? Uh, you know, and now all of a sudden I'm just a guy, you know, mm -hmm. and I'd have conversations with, I just like meet somebody and I'd say, yeah, I played in the NFL. They're like, why are you done? Why are you done? Why don't you keep playing? And I'd be like, crushed with shame and guilt like should i still be playing and for me when i was done playing i was done like i had given it everything i had there was no doubt in my mind i had after my last season in chicago there were teams calling wanting me to come out for workouts and you know tryouts and join the team and i couldn't even get myself i thought about it and i thought I can't even get on that airplane. Wow. Like that's how done I am, you know? And <clears throat> so all of this stuff is just falling. I don't even know. What do I like? I have no idea. Like, what do I like? <laughs> who is Eb? Like, I don't, I don't even know who this person is. And so it was just like this, this really interesting descent to rock bottom where eventually I basically found myself on my way about to get on the, the on-ramp to head out to Chatsworth to the CBD company I had started screaming into the phone at my partner at the time I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to kill somebody Jesus man and it was just like I had nowhere to go. Like nothing was working anymore. You know, like the two hours in the weight room, smoking as much weed as I could possibly take in, drinking alcohol, you know, porn, fucking hiding over here. None of the escape valves were working anymore. There was nowhere to go. And by the time I got to that office, um, my wife, we're no longer married. God bless her. Love her to death. It's been a beautiful transition. <laughs> um, um, my wife at the time, who I was screaming into the phone with, she went to my mom's house. She said to my mom, I don't know what to do. Uh, I have no idea how to help Ab. He's really suffering. I just don't know what to do. And my mom, you know, God bless her. She's been an absolute just she she was really the one who broke the chain in our family mm. he broke the chain of alcoholism 
got herself sober, you know, been sober 40 some years. Like, wow. You know, she broke the chain so that I could be this person. And by the time I got to the office, she called me and she said, Eb, how you doing? And I knew she knew, you know, I didn't know that my wife had gone over there yet. Um, and I just could barely speak. I was just so choked with anger, shame, guilt, horror. Like, who am I, dude? What the fuck? And she said, Ev, why don't you come over for dinner? I said, all right, mom. So either that night or the next night, I went over to the house for dinner, the house I grew up in pretty much. And it's my mom, her twin sister, my brother, Gus, sitting down to dinner. And we just started talking about where we're at, where I was at, what was going on. And she's like, yeah, you know, we come from this family that's heavily affected by the disease of alcoholism. And, uh, you know, whether it's the drinking or not, this is a mental illness that we have tools for. Wow. And she's like, there's this thing called Al-Anon, the 12-step program. And maybe you should go. Maybe you can check out a meeting. And my brother had been going to Al-Anon. He was going to this all-men's meeting here in, in L.A. in Hollywood. And just said, yeah, man, Friday morning, come with me. And so I went to that first meeting. It was all-men Al-Anon meeting, 12 steps, go in there. I'm just like wrapped in shame and fucking this dark cloak. Can barely breathe. And the first speaker, the lead, starts talking about his childhood. And it's like he's just unpacking my childhood. He's talking about my life and where I come from. And, you know, taking care of his, his little brother and you know, mom or dad would come home drunk and it was really scary and he had to be the alpha male and he had to take care of everybody and he had to, you know, could never speak what was going on inside of him because it wasn't safe. And I just like burst open, you know, and I spent the next hour sobbing and my heart was just like completely cracked open. And for the first time and probably ever, I could take a deep breath and I found some relief and there was a little bit of hope and the light had pierced through the clouds and I left that meeting and it was the beginning of my new life. <laughs> you know, it was the beginning of my new life. And um, so from there, it was like, went hard into the 12 steps, you know, and for me, it was never, I never had the drinking disease. I have a thinking disease, mm. you know, and that's like, it wasn't about the substances. It was about the unmanageability of my thinking. Right. And so went hard into the 12 steps, got a sponsor, was just feeling like learning how to learning like, Oh, meditation. Oh, prayer what like you know starting to take inventory of myself starting to look at like where i come from what's happened to me throughout my life um finding forgiveness for myself finding forgiveness for other people making amends 
just starting to clear away the shit. And then that led me into therapy, which led me deeper into meditation, uh, which led me somehow and back to yoga, which was like my mom was taking my brother and I to yoga from the time I was 10 years old. My mom's a, a master body worker, healer, yoga therapist, yogini. I mean, I don't even know how to describe her. She's just, <laughs> she's the most intuitive master healer I've ever come into contact with, you know, and that's been a really powerful thing over the last couple of years in particular of understanding where I come from and the lineage that I come from, you know, and it's like, we could get more into this later, which, you know, all of that stuff led me to meeting one of my great mentors, a guy named Kirk Westwood, who brought me into plant medicine and combo and ayahuasca. And uh, one of the first things he said to me was, Eb, you're a shaman, you're a medicine man, and you need to learn about where you come from and your family lineage. And I was like, what? <laughs> and literally like two days later, I get a letter from my grandmother about our first American ancestor. There's a woman named Mary Bliss Parsons who came to America in about 1640, established this town in uh, Massachusetts called Northampton. Um, and she was a witch. She was on trial for witchcraft three times. Uh, there's multiple Stop. books written about her. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it right now. Hold on. Where, what is your lineage prior to her settling in America? You know, that's a great question. From what I've learned, she was descended from Druids. Okay. You know, and the Druids were the people who built Stonehenge. And what I understand, I, I'm, this is intuitive. It's hard once you start getting back that far. Right. There is a lot of information getting to her. And it was funny because my grandmother had never shared any of this with my mom or her sister. Why? And so she, there's a gap. I noticed that with like my parents and their parents, there is a gap where no, uh, nothing gets through almost like this weird protective wall. Uh-huh. So for me to bring this information to my mom, <clears throat> it was like unlocking this door that had been closed for so long that she couldn't get access to because, you know, one of the interesting things about healing healing arts or hey humans i know you've all been seeing me drink hvmn's ketone iq lately this is a game changer jet fuel in a bottle i use ketone iq for everything in my life whether it's running cycling podcasting or just the extra boost that my brain needs i won't lie it helps push me to the next level in all things i love ketone iq and what hvmn stands for Go grab some shots today at hvmn.com and use the code BRASS20 and save. Spirituality. The flip side of spirituality is really addiction. And if you don't have a spiritual practice, many times that results in you seeking God through substances. Mm. And so that's like the dark undercurrent of a spiritual practice because you have this you have this yearning, this hole inside of you that can only be filled by a relationship with God or higher power, spirit. 
and you're just like you don't really know so you go seeking it out because the only way where you experience these altered states where you feel as though you're connecting with spirit god a higher power is through substances and we know this i mean you know like that's that's one of the profound the one of the most profound aspects of any plant medicine is like it takes you right to fucking spirit to the center of yourself to the source you know and you have this this interaction this confrontation this you'd start to develop this relationship with you god the universe spirit all of that stuff you know and so giving my mom this information of like no mom we come from this family that's like this is who we are you know it really it brought her a lot of validation which was really cool and just like knowing who she is you know because she's this intuitive healing master but when you come from a family that's affected by alcoholism or some sort of mental and you know once again this is sort of the issue with the word the term alcoholism is because the moment somebody hears that you go oh that has to do with alcohol and you're a fall down drunk and you know that's where you come from but that's not necessarily it this is a very specific psychological makeup that has to do with you know pathological lying manipulation the use the weaponization of shame and guilt and all of these different things that are super common you know like once you really get into 12 steps you go holy shit i mean this is just about everybody on the planet could benefit from this you know because it's essentially it's a spiritual awakening process that's broken down into these super practical steps so you know when you come from a background like that let's call it alcoholism for the sake of you know the conversation there's a lot of doubt there's a lot of self-doubt and a big journey for me has been overcoming Mm self-doubt and ridding especially coming out of football like i had no doubt throughout my football career and then it all came to an end my life came crashing down over me and i was living in doubt everything was a second guess you know it's like who am i what am i going to do are we sure we want to do that uh can i do that is that allowed is this okay am i okay is this real you know mm-hmm. and so for my mom and for me honestly because it was really like and that that continued to inform my own journey as i've moved into you know doing these events and teaching yoga and meditation and breath work and really just being interested in turning people on to themselves essentially i suppose if we can put any sort of uh you know description on it but just like removing that doubt for her and so i don't know where we are but how do we how did she uh, no it's okay i how did she feel when you told her that your family lineage had to do with witchcraft in such a odd way because that is a i mean in America, that was a serious thing to be accused of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's wild, man. That's not well. What it can only what imagine. it comes to? I mean, we've got you know, witchcraft is an interesting thing. Essentially, she was a nature worshiper. Mm. Um, you know, and and throughout history, 
you know, I'm watching, I'm currently watching Vikings, the show, which is the best. I mean, I've had uh, Alexander Ludwig on the show. Oh, I love that. He's so I great. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, you know, and this is, this is where my family comes from. Also, you know, uh, to answer an earlier question, also, I think it was when I did my 23andMe, I have 98%, I have more Neanderthal DNA than 98% of the world's population. Did anybody so question it based off your size? <laughs> I mean, how would you not assume that? I know, it's great. It's perfect. It all comes into alignment, Kelsey. Isn't you know? it wild? <laughs> all the pieces come together. Um, but you know, everything, and, and there's all these books uh, and information from Mary Bliss, and she talks about shit that we're dealing with today, like going back to nature, getting quiet, being still, uh, communing with God. Like there's this, you know, the fear, I guess, you know, for at that time you're dealing with, you know, Puritans and, you know, heavy Christian ideology that said that anything outside of that was you're dealing with the devil. Mm -hmm. And so for her, what I, I suppose what they say, there were a lot of innocent people killed during that time that were literally burned at the stake for whatever, you know. Um, she was, her husband, this guy named Cornette Joseph Parsons, and he was very high up in the, in the community. He was one of the guys that established the community um, and while she had all of these feuds with women and people in the town, you know, somehow she was able to get off three mm -hmm. times. She lived to be in her eighties, had 11 children. Wow. One of them was named Evan. He was killed in a battle with native Americans when he was 21. Um, and, uh, so I think for my mom, she was always like, well, yeah, I'm a witch. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about it, <laughs> you know, so Fantastic. for her to get that information, it was just like, oh yeah, this is who we are. And it's not just like an imaginary thought. This is like, no, this is actually in our bloodline. Like this it's, is what, who we are. It's soul affirming. Yeah, there's an understanding exactly. there. Exactly. So what has that relationship been like with you with the medicine? Because obviously you've experienced a lot of different type of psychedelics and having that connection and having that deep, I didn't know this about you. So I'm very excited to find this out about you. Um, this is cool. <laughs> and to have that deep connection, what has that been like sitting with medicine? Uh, very powerful, very transformative. It's also been, you know, one of these things of like, I'm currently putting together uh, my second book and I was going through what I've written and this thing I wrote a few months ago and it's been this recurring theme because it seems like I'm, I'm coming into contact with people who are struggling with this in particular 
which goes to what you talked about earlier with the integration, which is like, which is this thing for me where once I've gotten the message, if I am not changing how I live, the decisions I make, my behavior, how I relate to myself and the outside world, if I'm not taking that message and doing that, it's like, what the fuck are we doing here? You know? And there's like a really, I, we did our second heal and flow event here in Venice in February. And, uh, one of the women was, her name's Giselle. She's amazing. She does a Kundalini activation process. And she was in the ice tubs and she's like doing her thing and like going in and really getting like super centered. And she came out of the ice tubs and she was like, Evan, when I was in there, I had this whole vision of you as this Viking warlord in a past life and you were preparing us for war. <laughs> and she was like, you weren't very nice back then and you're much nicer now. And there is, there is my, my, my soul, the voice of my highest self can be pretty fucking stern. It can be like, we're not here to fuck around, man, you know? And that's been a big thing for me and my relationship with, with the plants is that you know we live in this and it's really important you know these are really important keys and tools for us in this day and age where there are so many distractions and there's a lot of turmoil in the air like there's a lot of like chaos that we can get lost in and so there's super important keys tools for us in this time that being said there is also this drift into trend where it becomes like you're doing ayahuasca all the time you're doing you know mushrooms all the time and i'm a big fan of microdosing and the whole thing i'm a big fan of it it's been really important and transformative for me over the years however my respect for them is so fucking high like i'm like these are intelligences these are spirits that we take in that we commune with that give us deep deep insights yeah that help us unravel shit that we are really stuck in and so for me it's been a big a big practice of that of like taking the messages that i receive and changing how i live you know and where it's taken me to this place where I'm at now, like we said, I, I, you know, mentioned earlier, I don't know if it was in the beginning of the pod when you recorded it or not, um, of looking at life as, as the medicine. Mm. And for me, it's like, Eb, we're here. We're here now. And everything that we come into contact with is an opportunity to get clearer, get cleaner and to get more centered and to learn about who we are. Do we have a deeper and deeper experience and relationship with ourselves? And 
there's no more there's no like i was in yoga i do i teach and i take a lot of hot bikram yoga that's a big medicine for me it's a super psychedelic experience and i've got some things going on in my life right now as we all do and as we always will and i was laying there in shavasana and i was saying to myself like this thing's here and this thing's here and i got to talk to this person and i got to do this and that old thing of like complaining or having anything to say about it other than eb we're just going to say what we have to say we're going to say what we need to say and do what we need to do and we're going to move from what is in fucking alignment with my life and what I'm doing and who I am. Move from what's in direct alignment with that in everything we do. And there's nothing else to do. You know, like there's no, yeah, but they did this and oh, but that and fuck, I'm angry at myself. It's like, we don't have time for that anymore. It's just, why are we going to waste mental energy on that? You know, there were, you know, it's just, it's on, it's on me. It's right. on me. Say the thing, do the thing. I always have a choice. We always have a choice, you know, and it's important to recognize, you know, for me, it's, because you have to do a lot of work to get to the place where you can access your free will or divine will. Mm -hmm. Because for a long time, we're operating on this programming that takes us in certain ways, takes us in certain directions during our life that we don't really have a choice about. Right. Because of the traumas we've experienced, the pain, the suffering, what we grew up in, what we were subject to, you know, all of the shit, man. That's like deep programming that, you know, for all intents and purposes, my life has become a, an experience of unraveling that stuff so that I can be as much in integrity with my heart and my soul moving through my life as I possibly can be. You said something in uh, one of your posts, your website is a well of information, by the way, just FYI mm. for, for people who are, who don't follow you on social media, your website is, if you really pull it apart, you do some amazing writing in there. And there was mm, a quote that you. I picked, you're so welcome. There was a quote that I picked up on something um, that, that hit and it was from the, I believe it was human experiment uh, experience. Mm. And uh, it's not our job to know where we are going, but it is our job to listen to the directions we are given while driving. Uh-huh. <laughs> you have to, like the, the piece that I'm listening to you speak, and I think this might be one of the episodes where I've spoken the least ever in 170, because <laughs> when you're speaking, you're speaking so profoundly from your soul and the amount of peace that you hold within yourself. If you're not watching, watch the amount of peace that you hold within yourself is something that I wish so deeply 
that others could experience for themselves and to witness because to witness it shows that it's possible, but to experience mm. it means that you're truly healing and how incredible mm. it is to kind of watch you walk through this path to have found yourself in this way. And when I read that quote, when I was reading, it's so accurate about what you're talking about, like free will, we, on some level it's there. But like mm. you said, the programming and the way that we have gone through life puts us in positions where, like you said, it's not in alignment, but how are we supposed to know what's in alignment until we go through the difficult things to find ourselves on the other side? But it's yeah. our responsibility to heal too, right? That's the other thing. You know, if you don't heal from your wow, trauma, you're yeah. going to, you're going to bleed on those that didn't cut you and it just mm. will keep happening. So you have to learn at some Ugh. point that you have to walk down this path. And you're only going to benefit from it, but it is a difficult journey. And a lot don't want to take that journey because it's scary as hell. And brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. Yeah, it's very scary. I love that. If you don't heal your wounds, you're going to bleed on those who didn't cut you. So many, I've heard so many people have said that to me. I think there's the accurate saying is like, if you don't, it, it's along those lines. I don't know who the quote was, but somebody said that to me when I was really in it, in it for a hot minute. Um, and it hit me so hard. It felt like it punched me in the face uh -huh. because it's, so damn true. Your reactions yeah. to people, the energy yes. you put out, everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's so true. And yeah, our responsibility to heal. Yeah, yeah, it's we're at a fucking <laughs> we're at we're at the crossroads. Humanity is at the crossroads. Like this is the time. All the chips are in, dude. Yeah. We don't have time to fuck around. It doesn't, it's not serving you or anyone you come into contact with if you're going around mired still in your shit and you're not working to put yourself back together, to reconcile with yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just like, yeah, it's a fucking responsibility, dude. I just you see it as a responsibility it. because it, from my perspective, I've seen people exist in front of me and be gone the next time I blinked. Mm. And so many people and so many of these listeners have as well. And mm. what kind of person would you be if you just stopped caring now? Which way are you talking? Stopped caring about, about yourself, being better? About, about being better, about yourself, about existing, getting the, the true honor to still uh -huh. be on the face of the planet. What kind of person would you be if you didn't own your shit go through your yeah. shit, 
And if we just sat with it for a second, instead of acting as if those thoughts, feelings, and emotions aren't real and I'm tough, what would we be if we just sat in our own medicine and really looked inward and said, I don't want to be angry anymore. I don't want to hurt anymore because it's not helping anybody. And why did I survive? And them not, it's, it's, it's not fair. You, it's Mm -hmm. on you to do the work and it is your responsibility. And when you don't do the work, you're doing those that are no longer with us a disservice period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I just think thoughts matter. Thoughts matter. And how you speak to yourself is everything. Absolutely. thousand percent. Thousand percent. It's <laughs> why are you laughing at me? <laughs> I'm laughing because it's true. I yeah. it's, that's that's a universal it's truth, you know. That's the truth. What's going on inside of here is what comes out here, you know. It's just how it is. I didn't fucking make it up, you know. <laughs> I've made it up for sure. No, I heard like... it first time with you. <laughs> You know, I, mm-hmm. I want to, yeah. When you say, because a lot of people recoil with like, fuck that. That's not true. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, well, I guess okay. that's where you're at. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. You talk to people because you, you have these conversations and I'm sure that you do. You have these events that you do that I've been kind of watching you uh, go through on Instagram and I see the amount of vulnerability that is inside of that group as much as I can through a camera, but you can Mm -hmm. see it. You can see the vulnerability, the willingness and the want to heal, but you don't always meet that when you're having another conversation with someone else, you, you can very quickly feel and see the hesitation and the response is a direct, is a direct mirror to what they're feeling and how far they've gone within themselves in the response. Thousand percent. Some of the language that you use, how you speak is a direct reflection of your inner world. You know, if you're walking around going, you can't do that. Mm. You're telling yourself that a thousand times a day. You're walking around going, I can't do that. I'm not good enough for that. I don't deserve that. And that becomes your world, you know? I tell my daughter this all the time. She's 11. Like when kids are mean, it's because they're really sad on the inside. Especially at that age, man. Oh, Oh, yeah. Come to contact with children who are acting out, who are bullies or what do you think their home is like? What do you think their home is like? They're going through, they're in hell when they go home. Mm-hmm. So what can we do? Because it's not like, it's definitely not fucking lay down and roll over. It's like, no, you stand your fucking ground. Because the last thing a bully wants or someone who's in chaos and acting out or putting you down, the last thing they can stand is someone who stands up for themselves. And just says, no. And can we have compassion so that we can be the mirror for them to see how they are? You know, that's a really, that's like the ultimate 
That's the ultimate jujitsu right there. It's the ultimate Aikido, you know, martial art. It's like being in the face of the fire-breathing dragon and allowing their own fucking shit to be the thing that makes them realize how they're behaving. Mm-hmm. That's a big test. And it's it hard. It's, it's hard. Nobody tells you. Like, I, I mean, I don't know about you, because last time I checked, you you didn't birth your daughter. Um, but they no. don't tell you when <laughs> when you're creating a human that the baby's gonna grow up and be a kid that's then gonna have to go to school and deal with real life stuff. And yeah, I was like, we're having a baby. And you get lost in the bliss and the hormones of having a baby. But then your kid keeps growing. And then they go into environments where other children, and this is the sad part, more likely than not, are little assholes. And it's a direct, it's true. especially <laughs> after COVID, the yeah. fear that in these little tiny yeah. humans, and you can see the reactions. My son's only in grade one. So, mm. but we are, we've seen it. We've, I mean, oh, yeah. And sure. he, he's so, he's so internal because we've been that way with him since he's been young, right? Like he's a rough kid, <clears throat> you know, big dude, but the, he's, he reminds me, he's like, he's like this big kid who's like, I'm really rough and tumble and I will show up. But inside you, you say the wrong thing. And he's like, Mom, my heart hurts. My heart yeah, hurts. I, I understand. And we try to have these conversations. And a lot of people reach out to us and are like, how do you deal with that? Because we've expressed some issues that have been happening with little humans in, in my son's current school. And one was, you know, in kindergarten, a kinder, another kindergarten child tried to took a key out of his shoe and tried to cut another little kindergarten kid's throat. Um, in my Jesus son's, Christ. oh yeah, yeah, in my son's class, and then this year, some child wrote, "I hate," and then my son's name on a piece of paper and gave it to him, and Ugh. I, I was like, I sat down with the teacher and I went, "What's happening to the world's compassion? What's happening mm. to the empathy? Mm. What we know these children are struggling, but how do you, how do you work and and teach your child that?" it is a child that's just hurting and it's not anything to do with you. And having those conversations are so important more so than they've ever been. It feels like in our time. Mm -hmm. First of all, I mean, your son's, <laughs> your son's sensitivity will one day be his superpower. You know, oh, I know it. You know that. I know you know, I know that. Um, that's a great question, you know, and it's an interesting thing because I feel as though I went to public school. My daughter's go gone to this uh, private school for elementary. She's going to a new school next year. I don't know what, you know, most... I feel like most private schools are probably more veering towards discipline. Oh, yeah. You know, in public school, there's a lot of discipline. You know, it's like a kid fucks around, does something, acts out like that kid's fucking gone. 
you know? Nope. In the bad kids school. Nope. Not in Canada. <laughs> I Well, now I don't think that happens either, Kelsey. Yeah. So, and at her school, they don't. They don't do it either. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, there's something to be said. There's something to be said for fucking the importance of discipline. You know, we don't need to beat kids, you know, obviously, but there has to be a protocol of discipline to understand right and wrong at that age. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I don't, I don't, I think in all of society, honestly, like there's this lack of discipline and perhaps, you know, with children, there's so much going on. It's so difficult because you you have no idea what's going on at home. Mm-hmm. You know, some kids aren't even getting like, there's no food at home. Right. So that in and of itself, like they're malnourished. And of course they're coming to school and they're going to be crazed. Like, of course, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know. I mean, that's like, that's, that's a question that is for someone <laughs> <laughs> beyond my pay grade who's, who's in that cool. system, you know? Yeah, it's a wild, it's a, just a wild thing to witness because these are, this is the next generation. This is what's coming up after us. This is what we have to count on for, to handle world issues and adversity. And it feels like somehow our systems are epically failing them. And that, that to me is the saddest thing. I love so much when you said that your mom took you and your sibling to yoga at a young age, because there really are ways that well, we can give tools. I think you just, you hit the solution on the head, Kelsey. It's about, we need to be better parents, you know, like that's the fucking answer, dude. It's like, as parents, it's our fucking duty to raise our children to be the beings that are going to take us into the future. Like it's on us. Mm-hmm giving your kids tools like that i mean say no more my mom took me to yoga when i was 10 and just planted this seed you know both of my parents were lifelong athletes you know so food is medicine moving your body drinking plenty of water like these were just pillars of our home like there wasn't you know it was like a lot of just like whole foods like you know, meat, vegetables, potato, like we're eating just real food 80% of the time, you know, which again, like just another tool that goes unsaid, but it's like, that's carried me through my life. And then I've gotten to build on that foundation as, as an adult. And with my daughter, I mean, we do deep breaths. We do, we talk about gratitude. You know, I take her, I'm, she's always kind of like, I taught a yoga class this morning. She comes with me to the studio. Oh, <laughs> she Hi. comes with me to the studio. Good thing I caught that. That was good. <laughs> well done. Um, you know, it's just like as parents, you know, it's important to be involved. It's important to cultivate this, these these tools with our kids because i think i think you nail you hit the nail on the head most of the systems of our society are completely broken you know edu- the educational system 
you know, they can only do so much. And mm -hmm. for the most part, I think it's been long outdated. So it's like, as parents, what can we do to instill in our children tools that will help them be successful human beings for life, you know? No, and I think it's happening. I think it's happening. There's a it very, is. there's a shift, you know, of just becoming more conscious mm -hmm. of like, oh, maybe it's not about, you know, just like climbing this American dream ladder of like high school, then college, then just get a job, become a cog in a machine, make money, have kids, buy the house, get the car, do the stuff. You know, it's like, oh, actually our insides <laughs> are what matter like being being able to live a life that is full of joy and love is more important than you know what car you're driving or fucking where you're living you know mm -hmm. living a life and that's worth course. dying for amen amen it's not difficult that's it but yeah. we wrapped our, a lot of people have wrapped their self-worth around their professions, their, what they own, the things that they can buy. And I feel like I was one of those people when I was going through a lot of unresolved trauma. And mm. I know that, yeah. and I knew that, totally knew that, knowing that now it's hilarious because uh -huh. after the healing hit a point and I started integrating plant medicine it was like this evolution of like less things, more mm. time, more presence. And it's amazing how much better life can feel if you're willing to do something outside the norm, if you will, and really start yeah. to care about less and be more aware of who you're around because you are the sum of the five people. It matters who your cohort is. It matters who you are exchanging energy with. And it matters what you're absorbing, whether that's food, like nutrition is a uh, man. Somehow the world is the most obese it's ever been. And yet people are more, the most malnutrition children that are walking around schools because of the processed food that are put into them, which makes them end up with ADD and ADHD. Right. When it's like, if you just changed up a couple things, children would be able to thrive in such different ways, which then the tools become easier because their wiring is not based around needing sugar, which is, we all understand worse than cocaine in tiny yeah. little bodies. Yeah. <laughs> Kelsey, it's not difficult. you're going, no, it's not. And you know, some people hearing that would be like, well, I, you know, that's what they'll, that's all they'll eat. Excuses. Or, excuses. Yeah, it's just, excuses. It's, yeah. And once again, we have choices. Yeah, we do. We make decisions, you know, we make the fucking decisions. And when you're armed with information about how fucking, you know, food dyes and artificial flavorings and all this shit is leading to chemical disruption in the brain so severe that a child is being diagnosed with ADHD and your doctor's encouraging you to put them on a fucking amphetamine mm -hmm. change the food like start making better decisions start living differently 
you know yeah. and we're not victim we can't we don't have time to be the victims of the society that's broken yeah. it's time for us to rebuild with the solutions like start living the solution that's it you know yes. you know my my son knows about my show and uh because i i record like three to up to seven times a week sometimes Love he that. will he'll go mummy who who are, who are you talking to today and then i'll give him a little overview who i'm talking to and he'll go mommy you do that a lot you do that a lot. And I said, but do you know why I do it a lot? He goes, well, that's your job. I said, not really. I said, I do this and this, but I do this because this fills mommy's cup. And he goes, I have a big cup. And I said, you do have a big cup. And that's why it takes so much to fill it. But that's why you always are so loving and you're so kind to others because you have so much in your cup to give. I said, you have to do things, honey, that fill your cup. And so we have the conversation. What fills your cup? I like to go outside. I like to play Lego and I like to play with my friends. Okay. So then we do Great. more of that because that fills your cup. And when your cup is full, you can handle adversity and struggle and difficulty, yeah. but you got to find the thing that fills your cup, whether you're a child yes. or an adult. Yeah. Yeah. That never changes. And like you said, when we are not filling our cup, going inside, healing our wounds. We feel empty and we got to fill it with all this material shit. We need more stuff, you know? <laughs> we need more stuff to distract us from this emptiness inside. And so the more you fill your cup, the more you fill that God-sized hole inside with your things, the things that fill you up, going outside, connecting with your loved ones, you know, exercise, meditating, praying, you know, doing things that enrich your life, that fill your heart, that heal your wounds. All of a sudden, like you said, it's like you start healing those wounds. You're like, oh, I don't even think about that stuff. I don't want, I want less stuff. I want less stuff. We just threw out 20, 20, 20 full size black garbage bags of toys and things and shoes and clothes. And not because we were like moving all new stuff in. We were like, oh, enough, enough with the noise, enough with the, the constant advertisement, enough with the outside influence. Uh -huh. here now us and what we need for like survival and continued health and and not only that for things that will continue to move us forward more books less tv more podcasts a little less music music is still huge for me but i'm saying if you're gonna yes. have time you're gonna take time it's got to be into something that you found that isn't a hindrance but more of an a level up it levels you up every time yes yes Yes. I love, I love that. I'm a big, it's a big practice for me lately of just focusing my attention on what is enriching my life. You know, what's enriching my life. Let me do that stuff. Let me do more of that. Well, your life, it seems like is, uh, 
filled with a lot of love and a lot of gratitude. And it's uh, something that you don't just practice, you, you preach it and you preach it because you can't, you do practice it, which I love because you're not just another person reverberating more information that you've heard on Instagram. It comes from within. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really, I mean, everything I share ever is something that I've, I'm either saying it to myself currently, I've lived through it. I've been on the other side of it. And for me, I mean, going into this new year, I made this decision that whatever comes up and you go through levels of this, you know, you go through levels of this, particularly when you really get on this, this journey, this path of putting yourself back together, reconciling yourself, plant medicine, healing. This year, going into this year, I said to myself, whatever comes up inside, I'm just going to love it. I'm going to come into acceptance of it because it's there's no other way. There's no other way. It's like I had this these couple days right before the new year. I was really beating myself up over something like now I can't even remember what you know? And I just thought I'm done. I'm done doing this. I've done it. I've like kept myself under this fist under my own fist for so long. And it never does me any good, you know, to be in resistance to whatever's coming up inside of me. It's just never done me any good. When has that ever solved a problem or helped me feel better? Never. So whatever it is, because anger, sadness, rage, grief, frustration, annoyance, anxiety, these things still come. They're all here. They all still like make themselves known. I'm a human. You know, this is just energy moving through me. And there's these labels for it. And it's just, why not love that too? Why not? See what happens. And what's interesting is when you just love it and you accept it, whatever the thing is, all of a sudden it just evaporates. It's just like, it's, it just goes away and you're like, whoa, that was short lived. Mm. Rather than like holding on to it, beating yourself up, running away from it, pushing it away, trying to do anything but feel that feeling. And then all of a sudden you just say, okay, I surrender. I accept it. And over time, the faster, the quicker you can get to that place of just being, being an acceptance of what is. It's the moment you've, you move through it. It's the moment you just, it's over, you know, it's like a Chinese finger trap. Have you ever yeah, used yes. one of those? Yes. I re- I still to this day, it's the perfect model of this whole thing. It's this tube and it's made of fabric. You put your fingers into it and as hard as you try to pull out, it just gets tighter. And you will literally like, if it's strong enough, it'll, you'll feel, it'll pull your fingers out of the knuckles. Mm-hmm. The only way to get out is to calm yourself, squeeze it together with your other fingers, and then you can release your fingers from it. So it's like, it's not about coming out of it. It's about going in more. 
and then you get to release your fingers from the trap. So it's like, that's just how we are, you know, with emotions, thoughts, feelings, all that stuff. It's just going to come. It just comes. Like monks who spend decades meditating on mountaintops and temples, they still feel things. Mm-hmm. You know, the feelings still come. They never go anywhere. It's just about your relationship to it. What's your relationship to that stuff? Jesus. And that's what that's what we're responsible for changing, you know, because otherwise you're going to be fucking bleeding on everybody you come into contact with, like you said. Ugh. God damn it. That was so good. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's so great. It's so accurate and it's so brilliant. And the way that you just illustrated it is so I can, I can picture it in my head. I can see it. And it's the truth. The more you dive in, the more you lean in, the more you learn, the better you feel, everything starts to change. And it's this domino effect and it's the stacking effect. And if you can just take the first step forward to healing, it's going to continue to get better. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. One day you'll be looking back going, my God, how did I get here? It's a miracle I'm here. It's a fucking miracle I'm here. A year ago, five years ago, I'm a different person. I can truly say that. I look back, I couldn't even have imagined this place where I am. I was so, I was choked with anxiety, shame, horror, chaos. To get on the phone with somebody, like anything would come up, you know, like anything could come up and it would just be like the end of the fucking world. And I'd be in such turmoil, you know, and to get to a place where now here today, it's just like, oh, yeah, cool. We'll do that, you know, and it's still, you know, it's still fucking hard, you know, it's still really challenging maybe more so than it's ever been because it's every day i pray to god i pray to god and i say i choose to live in my highest greatness i choose to serve the highest good and the universe goes all right brother here you go serve the highest good here with this fucking insane (laughs) situation (laughs) yeah live in your highest greatness with this fucking you know disaster okay (laughs) cool you know how do i get to show up here it's like wow okay i can do that and not be in a war in my mind that's a powerful shift it's a really powerful shift yeah people like that become really dangerous human beings really quickly Mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh man so it's really powerful and i'm i'm really glad that you've been able to get to where you have with for yourself for yourself really for your own true yeah. peace of mind, because it sounds like it's been quite the journey. Um, when you, when you think about moving forward and kind of what's coming, like you said, so you're writing a second book right now. Yeah. What, you got, what else you got going on? Uh, I got a handful of events. Um, end of this month, I'm going to be in Texas at this force of nature conference called what good shall I do? That'll be really fun. That's April. 21 and 22 
Second day, I'm taking everybody through a little breath work and movement. Then after that, I'm in Mexico doing another event, teaching for five days, yoga, breath work, meditation. Um, the podcast, getting ready to relaunch it any day now. Podcast, The Evan Flow will be back up and running. Yeah, it's exciting. Thank you. It's a great show. Um, thank you. You have a great show. I love this platform. Thank you for having me, Kelsey. Oh, of course. Uh, you know, you, you are, like I said, you are the sum of the people that you absorb. And you're, I, you're something I absorb. You're something that influences. And it influences in a way that is profound and healing. And I hope you know that every time that you do one of these things, you touch others in different ways, not touch others. Stop being creepy people. <laughs> you touch others in different ways that will impact their life. And you may never know about it. But you've been in my sphere of influence and you definitely have influenced a better way of life. And I do appreciate that. Thanks, Kelsey. And then uh, last thing I'll throw out there, Heal and Flow in August 12 and 13 in Lake Stevens, Washington. Yoga, ice tubs, breath work, great food, great people. It's an amazing time. Um, and then every other week I'm doing a live ebb and flow on Zoom. Oh, nice. Which is breath work, yoga, and a guided meditation. It's 90 minutes Q&A at the end. That's a lot of fun, bringing together a lot of great people. So that that's happening. Keep your eye out for those if you're interested in joining. That's fantastic, man. And where can everyone follow you? Follow me on Instagram at EDS Britain. I'm on TikTok. I don't know my handle there. I have a guy <laughs> who runs it. Um, my website, ebonbritton.com. Um, that has links to everything. And, and tons uh, of information, tons of tools. Awesome. Yes. Thank you for that shout out, Kelsey. No, you're so welcome. Um, truly though, thank you so much from the community and for the continued effort that you put into humanity. It makes a difference and it does matter and you matter. So thank you so much for being on the show this week. Thank you so much. All right. You stick with me. Everyone else. We'll see you next week. Bye.